Well, we've come to the end of the season with our lessons from the farm. Been talking about that the last few times together, and um, in our last meeting, we noted what takes place right before the harvest. Remember what that was? Waiting. Oh yeah, you gotta wait. Waiting is crucial for the farmer and for the believer because that's when you turn your eyes toward God. You have to exert faith and say, okay, God, trust in you. You're going to make these things grow. So we now come to the time of the season that everything has been leading up to, right? We started off with the, the plowing, the sowing of the seed, the pruning, the waiting, and now the day has finally arrived the day of the harvest. Oh, we're going to see the day of the harvest is, has a twofold meaning. It's not just about bringing in the crops. You know, spiritually speaking, the end of the season speaks of the end of the world. So when you think about the end of the harvest, hey, like right now, we're kind of living in it. What do you picture when you hear harvest? Overflowing fields, baskets of food, rejoicing, thankfulness, fulfillment of all the time that was spent working hard in the fields. We're based here in New England. Our autumns are decorated with colorful trees and farms, and they give off their treasures and all kinds of colorful fruits and vegetables. But these treasures did not come from a life of indifference or even apathy. No, they are the fruit of diligence. And Jesus told a story about this very thing, but he's going to really spiritualize it this time. And I think it's very timely for the day and age in which we are living as well. So we're going to pick it up in Matthew 13, verse 24. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, the tares also became evident. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Why does it have tears? Now, what are tears? Tears, another word is darnell. It's false grain. It's kind of like, it looks like grain, but it's not. You can't eat it. It is a degenerated wheat, not fit for humans. You can feed it to chickens, but not people. It looks like wheat. And then when it's fully matured, then you can see, ooh, it's not wheat at all, but it looks like wheat while it's growing. So in Matthew thirteen twenty-eight, he said to them, an enemy has done this. And the slaves, they said to him, do you want us then to go and gather up the tears? And he said, no. While you're gathering up the tears, you may uproot the wheat. We don't want that. He said, allow them both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, ooh, the professionals, the guys that know 
what to do because they do it for a living. I'll say to them, First, gather up the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them up, and gather the wheat into my barn. Now, this is what the day was like that Jesus lived in, and it's so much like our day today as well, isn't it? Farming is farming. Harvesting is harvesting. We might have new equipment. We might have more technology. But the result, is always the same. Now, this story that Jesus told, it contains a universal principle that prepares the hearers for something maybe a lot of people don't want to talk about. But it's inevitable. The end of the world. The end of the world. We know that the harvest is a time of joy. But the harvest here is something different. It's joy for those that are with God, but it will not be joyful for those that don't have God. So Jesus tells the story about the end of the world using the harvest. Sometimes when Jesus spoke, people couldn't find the meaning of his stories. And why is that? Because their hearts were hard. They really didn't want the truth. It's like that today, too. People don't mind hearing, but they don't want to hear the truth. Even churches today are becoming very entertaining. They're becoming centers for motivational speeches. But as far as biblical truth, I don't know. It seems to be rather shallow. So Jesus, after he told his story, he would often take his disciples aside and explain the story to them. So the hard-hearted would not understand it. That's a unique approach Jesus had. He spoke to everybody, but he didn't want everyone to get it. You would think, why doesn't he want everyone to get it? Because he doesn't want the hard-hearted, the prideful, and the arrogant to get it. He wants them to humble themselves. Because it takes, here it comes, a humble heart to understand spiritual things. That's the way it works. It takes a humble heart to understand spiritual things. Two people can sit in church. They hear the exact same message. One walks out, oh, that was great. That was so refreshing. Now I know what to do with my life. The other other one walks out, I don't know what he said. I don't get it. Why? Hot, hot. Versus the humble hot. That's all. Like we said, the problem's not with the seed. The problem is with the soil. So Jesus is going to mention the players in the story. We've got Jesus himself. We've got true believers. We've got false believers or non-believers. We've got Satan. And we've got angels. Okay? These are the players in the story. Now, he talks about the field. The field is the earth. And if you think about it, this list of personalities, they're all eternal. You know that? They're all going to live forever. Jesus is going to live forever. True believers are going to live forever. Non-believers are going to live forever. Satan is going to live forever. Angels are going to live forever. Everybody is going to live forever. Nothing else in this world will. The earth won't be here forever. God's going to roll it up and throw it away and make a brand new one. But we're going to live forever. 
So Jesus said, the one who sows the good seed, that's the son of man. Oh, he's talking about himself. And what's the good seed? Here, the good seed is not the word of God. The good seed is true believers. It's the people that are true followers of Christ. You know, James said in James 1.18, and the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Yes, the word of truth got us to be followers of Christ, but we become the first fruits of his creatures. What does that mean? It means that, you know, Jesus did a work. And when he finished his work, he ascended into heaven, and we're going to follow him. We are the first fruit of his work. So the field is the world, verse 38. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. So again, the tares, they're the non-believers or the false believers. You know, there are people that outwardly deny who Jesus is. And then there are those that, you know, they might be in agreement, but they're not truly born of God. Okay? And maybe we're going to lean toward the false believers, because they're growing together in the church, the true believers and the false believers. So we're going to say Satan has his own following. I'm like, how does that work? How does that dirty devil get people to follow after him? I mean, aren't people paying attention? Aren't their eyes open? I don't know. So, question, when were these tares sown in the field? Verse 25, while his men were sleeping. Oh, they were sleeping. That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, let us not sleep as others do. Let us be alert and sober. Let me ask you, are you alert? Are you sober? (laughs) I think we've got less and less people being sober these days. So we have planted in the church false Christians. People who look good, they sound like believers, but they're not. And who planted them? Well, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. That's who? The devil, Jesus said. Now, the devil comes with several names in the Word of God. He's called the accuser. In Revelation 12.10, you know what he does? He accuses us before God. How dare he? (laughs) How dare he, the rebel against God, accuse us? But he does. He accuses the brethren day and night, but Jesus stands up and he's our advocate. He defends us. He's also called the adversary. That means opponent in 1 Peter 5.8. He's our opponent. He's God's opponent. He's called the serpent of old, Revelation 12, 9. Oh, it's been around for a long time. He's been around since eternity past. You think he's good at what he does? I'd say so. He's had a lot of practice. He's also called the tempter. Matthew 4, verse 5. Remember when he had that face-off with Jesus in the wilderness? He was the tempter. He's also called by the apostle John a murderer. John 8, 44. There's nothing good about this guy. There's nothing. There's nothing. He smells worse than the Grinch. 
And yet people follow him. Like, what's wrong with them? What is wrong with people that they would follow a devil? I don't know. But you see, they don't. Even, sometimes they don't even know. Because when you reject Christ, you're following Satan. It's an automatic. He's also called, and I think this is the strongest ministry right now, the deceiver. In Revelation 12.9, he's going to bring a deception upon the whole world. That deception is really happening now. He's deceiving people in all kinds of ways. Oh, and it's going to get worse in the tribulation. No doubt about it. So we have to have our eyes open because of the great deception. And it's going to come in many ways. You know what I think? I think it's going to come in the ways of UFOs, alien invasion. It's going to come in the way of religion. It's going to come in the way of government. It's going to come in the way of the economy. It's going to come in several ways. It's going to be like coming at people from different angles. And because they're not prepared with truth, they're going to be deceived. He's also called in our story today, the enemy. Matthew, Matthew 13, 39. He is our enemy. He's got nothing good for you. Nothing at all. The end result is to be total destruction. So perhaps this is where we are today in human history. We are God's laborers in the field, the wheat that is growing to feed the world. That's what we are. You know, when Jesus said, I'm the bread that comes down out of heaven, he satisfies us, right? Well, you know what we are now? We are that which feeds the world. We're the wheat. The world depends on the church. doesn't even know it. The world depends on you, the Christian, and they don't even know it. They need to thank God you're here. They need to be thankful that we are here because we are holding back the evil that could be. And in the rapture, the restrainer, the church, is gone. And evil is going to have its way. So there's a false wheat that's been planted. Oh, it sure looks like wheat, but it's not. Its intention is to choke the good wheat. That's his intention. Choke the good wheat. The devil himself has done this, Jesus said. He came in and planted false followers of Christ among the true followers. So the next event that's going to be is the harvest. And in this particular story, the harvest is the end of the age. The end of the age means the time of growing has been fulfilled. Just like at the end of the growing season, right? It's over. And the workers go out and they bring in the crops. And whatever crops are left out in the field, they rot. They're good for nothing. They rot. Actually, they are good for something. They probably go back into the ground and add nutrients to the ground as they rot in the ground. So maybe they leave some out there intentionally. Point is, Every farm has the growing season come to an end. And this earth has its final growing season come to an end. And it's going to be over. Every field of crops 
must go through a growing and maturing process. You can't cut it short. You know, you have, you've seen food that's not reached maturity. Grapes, they're still hard and green. Apples, tomatoes, they're really not good until they reach the end of their growing season. But the end does come. And so it will be with the earth. And people wonder, when's Jesus coming back? Oh, Lord, come back. How many people have ever said, come now, come today? But you know why he's not coming today? It's not the end of the growing season. I mean, he could come back today. That means it is the end of the growing season. But he's not going to come back until it is the end of the growing season. And only God knows when that end will be. So this is why it seems like evil is flourishing today. And, you know, perhaps it is a little, a little bit. But God is telling us we don't need to be on a witch hunt to see who was real and who was not. That's not our job. Okay? We are not the professionals. And by the way, you know the scary part? It's almost impossible to tell. It really is. It's almost impossible to tell the true follower of Christ from the false, just like you can't tell the wheat from the tears. Because there are people that sure put on a good show. Now, I don't like to use the word show. I don't mean show, but in some cases it is. And there are some people that present themselves well and they are true followers of Christ. But then there are others, they present themselves as followers of Christ, but they are not. And they exploit the sheep. They have false doctrine. Uh, their message doesn't line up with Scripture. Their fruit or their life is not Christ-like. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. So you look at the fruit of their life, and it's very, very scary because they're in the church, they're in the pulpits, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. But God is pretty content to let them grow, and we all grow together. But then what happens? The reapers, oh yeah, the reapers are the angels. And at the end of the age, there's going to be a great separation. And the angels will do the work. They're the professionals. So back on the farm, verse 40. Just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. Wow! So on the farm, they take all the fake wheat. They bundle it up. They burn it. At the end of the age, uh-oh, God's going to take all the fake believers. He's going to bundle them up and throw them into the fire. He is. Oh, people that think they're getting away with something now, they're only getting away with something now. But like I said, everybody is eternal. Everybody. For verse 41, the Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. Who are the stumbling blocks? Those who hinder the growth and the walk of the true 
believers. And how do they do that? A couple of ways. They live a bad lifestyle. They teach false doctrine. They teach no doctrine. None at all. That's why. He that has ears, let him hear. Oh, pay attention what you're listening to. Because the greatest charismatic personalities that are out there doesn't make them real. A charismatic personality that's very entertaining, good-looking, doesn't mean they're real. The only thing you can do is listen carefully. Compare Scripture with Scripture. Be like the Bereans. Paul said, oh, the Bereans, they would go home and they would study what they heard in church to see if it was right, even if the apostle taught it. They would go home and check for themselves. You know why? Everybody is responsible for what they know. We're all responsible. You're responsible for what you know. Don't blame the pastor. You have to check out what your pastor says and make sure it lines up with Scripture. Because I'll tell you what, you got to be able to discern between the two. So he's going to take the stumbling blocks, boom, they go on, people that got in the way, and then he's going to take those that are lawless, they're just outright rebels against God. He's going to take them out of the way. And uh uh-oh, throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That speaks of extreme torment. That's what that speaks of. It's hell. It's hell. That's where they're going. It's hell. Let me tell you a few things about hell. Number one, it's a place of darkness. Jude one thirteen. In darkness, you are alone. See, a lot of people say, oh, I'll go to hell because all my friends are there. Maybe so, but you won't see them. It's utterly dark, and you will have a sense of aloneness. It's also fire and brimstone in Revelation 21.8. Fire is fire, brimstone is sulfur. Take a book of matches, light it, blow it out, sniff it. That's sulfur. That's what hell smells like. Phew, burn your nose, burn your brain. It's called the lake of fire. In Revelation 21.10, flames. Not a pretty place. It's a bottomless pit. Revelation 9.1, very deep. It's an abyss. Perhaps it's a sense of falling. Bottomless pit. It's also called the second death in Revelation 21.8. Total separate. See, death is separation. The word death is the Greek word thanatos. In our first death, our soul and spirit are separated from our body. The second death, your soul and spirit are separated from God. So that's why you want to escape the second death and receive Christ as your Savior. But these people will die the second death, and they'll have a total, eternal separation from God. So we must remember, hell was created not for man, but for the devil and his angels. That's why it's so bad to punish that dirty devil. Matthew twenty-five forty-one, Jesus said, Then he'll say to those on his left, 
Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels, the ultimate rebels. Hell was prepared for them. But the devil has followers, and there's no other place for them to go. So when you reject Christ, you remain a follower of Satan. And then you share his eternity. The good news is, verse 43, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Oh, the righteous, the true believers, the true followers of Christ. And then Jesus wrapped it up like he often does. He who has ears, let him hear. What's he saying? Do you understand? Are you getting it? Do you realize what I'm saying? That's what Jesus is trying to get people to know. You know what I'm saying? Are you getting the spiritual meaning of this? And do you see how it affects your life in a very personal way? Oh, the messages of Jesus. They're very personal. Oh, yeah. He can talk to a crowd of people, but every person can feel it. Wow. Think about that. He talks to 5,000 people, and everyone is impacted in their heart, individually. How does he do that? It's God. He can do that. And the Holy Spirit takes it and plants it right in the heart. So the harvest time, for those that are diligent, it's a time of joy and thankfulness and celebration. For those that are phony, for those that are counterfeit, for those that are not real, it's a time of judgment. And it's a time of punishment. A punishment that never ends. Wow. I hope that's not you. Pray to God it's not you. And it doesn't have to be anybody. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through Him. Boom. That's it. That's it. He's the Lamb slain for your sins before the foundation of the world. Boom. That's it. He who believes will never perish but have everlasting life. That's it. God has done all the work. He's made it so simple. There is no excuse unless you've got a head like the rock of Gibraltar. Hot as a rock. There's no excuse. God loves you. He sent His Son for you. Accept his invitation to spend eternity with him.